0: support for MindShift comes from Landmark College, offering a fully online graduate-level certificate in learning differences and neurodiversity programs. Visit
1: landmark.edu slash certificate to learn more.
2: Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just
0: high up a long road near the top of a breathtaking canyon. It smells like the pine and oak trees that shade the streets and lawns and cover the town's outskirts. It's paradise. Well, at least that's its name. It's a town in Northern California, about 26,000 people tucked into the foothills of the Sierra Nevada mountain range. Driving in, you even pass a sign that reads, May you find Paradise to be all its name implies. But that doesn't happen for everyone who lives here. Paradise is in Butte County, which registers among the highest rates of childhood trauma in California.
4: We're trying to turn that ship around, right? We're trying to change our practices. Two years ago, the school board adopted a resolution. All of Butte County adopted the initiative to be trauma-informed.
0: I'm health reporter Laura Clivens.
4: And I'm Key Sung. You're listening to the Mind Shift podcast, a look at the future of education and what it means for our kids. Today, our colleague Laura will take us to paradise, where we'll look at those high rates of childhood trauma. What does having serious trauma as a kid mean for health? How does it impact schools? And what are the ways to help kids overcome painful experiences and become the adults they want to be?
0: Paradise High School has more than a thousand students. It has a football team, a swim team, a bunch of AP classes. It's the home of the Bobcats. And if you get kicked out of Paradise High School, then you'll probably end up at Honey Run Academy. Honey Run is really just three portable classroom buildings, with parking in front and a basketball hoop. Driving by, you could easily miss it. I did. Honey Run is for kids from 7th to 12th grade, but it's tiny, averaging 10 to 20 students a year. Kids come to Honey Run usually after being expelled from other schools, or because their probation officers sent them, or because they're chronically absent. Principal Dina Capsalis says they have to do more than a
4: regular school because of what's happening in paradise these days. I think that rural America really has become the new inner city in so many ways. Many families
0: are isolated, living deep in the woods. The lack of jobs here, coupled with a wave of meth addiction in the 1990s, has left a lot of residents in poverty. That creates a recipe for childhoods marked by deprivation and sometimes trauma some of the students at honey run are homeless others wear ankle monitors assigned they're on probation away from this place they're tough kids at honey run though you can feel how they're just grateful to have a place where they're fed and nurtured looked after
4: we consider ourselves one part statue of liberty and one part emergency room
0: Principal Dina's students are all living with childhood trauma of one form or another. And a school like Honey Run, small with a low student-to-staff ratio, guided by the simple idea that you work with the whole child, not just the student, that's what these kids need. Children have to be healthy
1: enough to learn. That's something that all school districts can agree on. And mental health is part of overall health.
0: That's childhood psychiatrist and Stanford professor Shashank Joshi. He says you have to keep these school-averse kids coming to school and taking part in learning.
2: And in order for children to have access to the curriculum, teachers are now learning ways to create
4: trauma-sensitive environments.
0: At Honey Run, that environment is built from the idea that each student is an individual and that every interaction is significant.
4: And so what we try to do is recognize if a student comes to school, that's a thing. And if they're on time, that's another thing. Um, We might say, we know that there's nobody getting you up in the morning. We know that you're, you're on your own, and yet you're here. It's five minutes before the school starts. That tells us that you want to be a student today. That tells us you want to be successful today.
0: Dina, the teachers, and staff are careful not to assume anything about their students, what kinds of homes they come from, or even that they have homes. Stacy Pugh is an instructional aide.
3: We have to understand where they came from, what's, you know, where they might have been last night. They might have slept out in the park. They might
0: have slept on somebody's couch. Um, they may have gotten a fight with a parent. Um, parents may be
2: using drugs or alcohol.
0: Honey Run Academy may be the one constant in these kids' lives. Teachers and staff keep that front of mind, even in the most mundane ways. Have they eaten breakfast in the morning? I always try to make sure they've eaten. We have toothbrushes here and deodorants and things, and we have a washer and dryer where they can come and bring their
3: clothes. We we just have to really be gentle, and it it works.
0: Besides helping in the classroom, Stacy Pugh has her informal roles. Surrogate mom, counselor, friend, confidant, advisor. A lot of times they get here waiting to talk to me in the morning when I get here. Um, some of them even come out to my car to tell me what's going on in their life and what they need help with. Dina Capsalis, the principal, picks up that theme as we cross a parking lot from the office to one of the classrooms
4: the little interactions versus the big interventions that make the most impact. and So those little interactions are relationships and that's that's what we do really really well here and that's what we always have we have this on every door. What does it say? Keep us with you. <laughs>
0: Teacher Anthony Sanzoni kicks off the class as the last few students come inside from playing basketball. All
4: right, come on in, guys. Today is our last Monday together. Kind of a sad Monday. All right, we're ready for today
3: in history?
0: The class jumps into a history lesson. Then, since it's the last week before summer vacation, teacher Anthony offers an end of year reward. A round of Monopoly right in the middle of class time.
3: Advance to the
4: nearest railroad. Unowned, you may buy it from the bank. Well, I can't buy it yet. The
3: nearest railroad is No, advance to the nearest <laughs>
0: railroad. So. Stacey Pugh scopes out dirty hands and circulates with a bottle of antibacterial gel, offering a squirt here and there. You can tell the students are right at home in what Dina describes as a trauma-informed classroom. Lots of seating options, stand-up desks, sit-down desks that allow restless knees to jiggle, even a rocking chair. The usual classroom fluorescent lighting is softened with a cloud-covered fabric. And there's another thing that softens the tone in this room. It has to do with the way these three adults interact with the students. The words they use show a mutual respect. Later, I ask Dina about it.
4: We don't use a lot of junk food language. We don't say things like, you rock, you're awesome. We call it junk food language because it just disappears very quickly and has no credibility. She says Honey Run students would see right
0: through it. And it's not just the teachers at Honey Run who are trained to think about how they speak to the kids. It's everybody at the school who comes in contact with them
4: food service people, bus drivers, Mm -hmm. crossing guards, yard duties, registrars, front office people, instructional aides, etc. So these are the folks that make school districts run and that spend a lot of time with students in the case of bus drivers, for example, at the beginning and the end of their day, food service when they're at their most hungry um, and vulnerable, Emotionally, and then yard duties, you know, when they're in unstructured environments.
0: Listen to Pam Parker, who serves the kids breakfast. She takes a moment to connect with each kid and to offer praise for the smallest of positive choices.
1: You take whatever you think you need. Today, I've got something different. I've got biscuits with no sauce. Oh, the burrito. Grab me some fruit or some apple. Oh, you're so good. Thanks, honey. You guys all have a good day. Bye-bye, guys.
0: (laughs) What becomes clear when you spend time at Honey Run Academy is that the school day is not actually a day. It's a mosaic of small moments, thoughtfully handled by adults who grasp the importance of stopping to listen to these kids to whom no one ever listens. The girl who approaches you at the start of the day needing to tell you something urgently before you've even had the chance to pull into a parking space. Or the boy at the breakfast cart who one morning, out of the blue, asked for fruit with his burrito. Multiply those moments over the course of a day, a week, a month, and you start to see children growing healthy enough to learn. Honey Run is a place for kids to reset. It's a place to bend the trajectory of their life for the better. But how did educators figure out how to design it? How to run it? And how do we know that it works? Some of the answers can be found in the growing field of childhood trauma research. One of the people championing this work is Dr. Nadine Burke Harris, a pediatrician who works in San Francisco with low-income kids. Through her work, she saw a link between high rates of health problems, like high blood pressure, depression, or stunted growth, and problems going on at home, like a mom who drinks or a dad who hits. She likens these scary experiences to seeing a bear in the forest when the body goes into fight or flight. That's a helpful response to adversity, she says, when there is a one-time threat. But if you have too much of that threat…
1: What we now understand is that all of these things change a child's biology. This cumulative adversity is overwhelming to a child's biology.
0: Dr. Burke Harris says when this hormonal cascade repeats, it can hurt the body. It can lead to long-term changes in kids' developing brains, their immune systems, and even work its way into their DNA. Some of the best evidence for how that damage affects real people's lives came from thousands of Kaiser Permanente patients in San Diego.
1: In that study, they asked 17 and a half thousand adults about their histories of 10 categories of what they called adverse childhood experiences or ACEs, which were stressful or traumatic experiences in childhood. So these included... Physical, emotional, or sexual abuse.
0: Neglect, domestic violence.
1: Growing up in a household where a parent was mentally ill, substance dependent. Incarcerated or divorced.
0: Just look back at the students at Honey Run. They're experiencing a lot of these hardships. Addicted or incarcerated parents. Physical abuse. Neglect. Researchers created a scale for these adverse childhood experiences, from 0 to 10. For each negative experience someone had, they'd get one point. Four or more points is considered a lot. The total number is called your ACE score, A-C-E, for Adverse Childhood Experience. But what the study also did was take ACE scores and use them to look at people's entire life trajectory.
1: What this study found was really groundbreaking. First,
0: that having one of these childhood traumas is incredibly common.
1: Two-thirds of them had experienced at least one adverse childhood experience.
0: Second, that the more of these experiences someone has, the sicker they are. Not only mentally, but physically. Your body carries that trauma later in life.
1: For a person with four or more of these adverse childhood experiences, they had double the risk for heart disease, double the risk for cancer, two and a half times the risk for stroke, and almost four times the risk of chronic lung disease.
0: And that's not just because people with difficult childhoods may do riskier things when they're older. That's part of it. But even for people who eat healthy, exercise, avoid drugs, their bodies are still more vulnerable than people who didn't grow up with trauma. But the impact of trauma can be tempered with interventions, especially early ones, especially ones that focus on building and repairing relationships with adults. Honey Run principal Dina found her way to this idea through trial and error.
4: We really had a different way of interacting with Alt-Ed students, and especially students who were expelled.
0: Then they learned about ACEs.
4: Then it made so much sense when we learned about trauma and what it does to the brains and bodies of children and how it impacts their behavior and learning. And so then we thought, oh, that makes so much sense. Which is what led us to feel like, you know, at the end of the day, we had it all along.
0: But what if you don't get to go to a place like Honey Run? Or what if its effects don't stick? How can an adult heal from their trauma and escape the fate science says is theirs? Coming up after the break.
3: I've had a score of eight, and that's huge. But here I am still, and, you know, I'm doing it. I'm making it work.
0: Stay with us.
3: That's Donate.KQED.org slash podcast.
0: Welcome back to the MindShift podcast. I'm Laura Clivens. Earlier this year, I met 33-year-old Sabrina Haynes at Youth for Change, a nonprofit in Paradise, California, that, among other things, helps kids and adults who've had serious childhood trauma. Sabrina experienced a lot of pain, violence, and neglect growing up. She has an ACE score of 8 out of 10. When she was a teenager, she skipped school. She regularly hurt herself through cutting or attempting suicide she got into unhealthy and abusive relationships. She looked a lot like the students at Honey Run. After finishing high school, she battled a meth addiction for five years. Eventually, she landed in jail. That's where the first change happened. She was forced to sober up. And with a clear mind, it dawned on her. This didn't have to be her life.
3: I just knew that I wanted something better. I wanted to change.
0: For a fresh start, she moved to Paradise, a place that for her has lived up to its name.
3: I have not touched drugs since, so it's been over 10 years.
0: And she kept moving forward. When she was 27 and three years sober, she started taking classes at the local community
3: college. I was like, oh, I really do you like school, cause I mean when you're in high school, you're made to do it, you don't want to do it. I got to choose my classes, so that was definitely a plus. And then in the following semester, the spring semester of 2013. Mom, what? Found out I was pregnant. Would you like to sit on my lap while I talk? Would that help? Yeah? That's Sabrina's
0: daughter, Aurora. She looks just like Sabrina did when she was young, a skinny kid with blonde hair and blue eyes.
3: I personally was happy because I wanted to be a mom.
0: But Aurora wasn't planned, and her biological father wasn't ready to be a parent. Sabrina would have to do this on her own. Another challenge was that Sabrina would have to learn how to parent differently than her mom and dad did, because the impact of ACEs can be passed from one generation to the next.
3: I don't want her to have to go through those adverse experiences. I want her to have a fulfilled life and to be happy.
0: Sabrina had a tough pregnancy. Her blood pressure kept spiking, so her doctor told her about a nonprofit where she could get support. It turned out to be a great decision.
3: They're like family now, you know? They've been such a huge support, and I think it's things like that that really help somebody to survive.
0: Week after week, she'd go back to Youth for Change to get ready for the baby. As she did that, she strengthened her bond with the staff there. She learned about ACEs, which she says helped her process her past trauma.
3: I've had a score of eight, and that's huge, but here I am still, and you know I'm doing it. I'm making it work.
0: The Youth for Change staff helped Sabrina write out goals and follow them, little by little.
3: For so long, I kind of played that victim role. Poor me, poor me, poor me. All these things are going bad. And when I was doing things for myself, finally, I was kind of like, why play the victim? There's so much out in this world that there's left to discover, and maybe I can make an impact.
0: First off, the new baby would need a hopeful name. She chose Aurora. It means dawn. And she spelled it differently, with the word roar in the middle.
3: Like, this girl's going to come out roaring. So that's like, it was like, yeah, Aurora.
1: I don't like your perfect rhyme, cow.
0: That's Aurora singing her own version of a Taylor Swift song. Aurora's almost five now. She loves to read and she's starting to spell out words. She likes bright colors and dancing around any space she occupies. Basically, she's a very normal, healthy, happy-seeming child. Sabrina works hard to make that happen. Because of her past, she's constantly trying to strengthen her parenting skills. She does that now through a weekly therapy session at Youth for Change. It's different than you'd expect, though. Therapist and clients aren't even in the same room. Instead, mother and daughter play in one room, while therapist Lori Taylor observes from another. She watches them through a two-way mirror and talks into a mic that goes straight to an earbud Sabrina's wearing.
1: Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, good.
0: This is Um, called parent-child interaction therapy. The goal is to help parents and their kids communicate better. Um, You're going to let Aurora Mm. remind her, say, remember Aurora, there's two rules for special playtime.
3: Remember Aurora, there's two rules for special playtime. The
4: first rule is play gently with the toys. First
3: rule is play gently with the toys. The second rule is play gently with each other. And the second rule is to play gently with each other. Aurora
0: only hears her mom's voice.
3: You're doing a great job of following the rules. You're right, that is another pony. It's great. Popple. I'm so glad I get to be here to play with you. You're fun to play with. Uh-huh.
0: This type of therapy, which focuses on improving communication between parent and child, has been proven to help with behaviors like tantrums and aggression in kids. Sabrina and Aurora start playing doctor with a plastic stethoscope and colorful band-aids. There's a brown-stuffed bear on the table. Through Sabrina's earbud, therapist Lori explains why.
4: Okay, so I put that in there this today because, you know, she's been having problems at the doctor's office. Mm-hmm.
0: Sabrina and Aurora pretend to give Mr. Bear shots. Then Aurora says she'll be the patient.
3: I would love to take care of you. Thank you for letting me be the doctor. That's
1: so great, Mom. Here, I'm going to sit right... Right
3: here. Okay, just you're sitting make, on that chair.
1: Just make
4: sure you give getting your shot, okay? Oh, your okay. Shot. So this but is a great leg, healing okay? activity that you guys are doing. It's great that she's letting you take care of her. Okay. I know the, the
1: next time, I time I we go say, to the doctor's okay? office, you're going to be able to keep your body calm.
3: I know next time we go to the doctor's office, you're going to be able to keep your body calm because see how calm you're being right now? And you just got four shots. Here.
0: This kind of therapy around parent-child communication is just one tool that helps families who've seen trauma. Sabrina Haynes says she's completely different from who she was as a teenager.
3: Now I look at life as something amazing and beautiful and all the things that you can get out of life.
0: She loves school. She's finished two associate's degrees and is on track to get a bachelor's in child development next year. She'd like to get a master's too, Someday, Sabrina Haynes wants to run a preschool. For now, she volunteers as a teacher at Youth for Change. She works once a week in a classroom with toddlers and their parents.
3: We're going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a big one. What a beautiful day.
0: Sabrina reads the children's book, We're Going on a Bear Hunt. The kids listen, some of them snuggling closer to their moms for comfort when they're afraid.
3: We're not scared. Uh Uh-oh. A cave. A narrow, gloomy cave.
0: Sabrina knows there will be dark times still ahead for her. For Aurora, too. There will be difficult times for the Honey Run students. But now they're better prepared for those gloomy days.
3: We can't go over it. We can't go under it. Oh, no, we've got to go through it. Tiptoe, tiptoe, tiptoe.
0: For the MindShift Podcast, I'm Laura Clivens, health reporter for KQED. This story was produced in collaboration with the USC Center for Health Journalism's California Fellowship. You can find a more in-depth version of Sabrina's story on KQED's The California Report.
4: And I'm Kei Sung. Our editor is Jacob Conrad, and Seth Samuel is our audio specialist. Holly Kernan is KQED's vice president of news. Thanks to our colleagues, Carrie Feibel, Paul Lancour, Victoria Malion, and Susie Racho for their help with this episode. If you want to stay in touch for
0: more stories about teaching and learning, subscribe to this podcast. And while you're on your favorite podcast app, let us know how we're doing by rating us or leaving a comment. Your feedback helps us figure out what to cover next. See you next time.